But today we're going to talk about approaching God on Sunday morning. How should we enter into this time we call worship at to 10.45 we start? Anyway, maybe we should start, though, with a more basic question. That is, what is worship? Is it singing like we just did now? Is it listening to sermons like you're going to do now for the next hour? Is, is it prayer? Is it communion? Is it giving an offering? Well, yeah, those are all a part of worship. But is worship more than that? I mean, can you show up on Sunday morning and do all these things and still not worship? Sure you can. What is it? Worship is probably the number one issue in the Bible. If I were to change things this morning, I'd say take out that word probably. It is the number one issue in the Bible. In fact, worship is the number one issue in your life. Who or what do you worship? Worship comes from the word worth. Who or what is worth your allegiance, your time, your energy, your strength? Who or what is the priority of your life? For instance, uh, in other words, the most powerful thing we do is worship along with it being the most important issue in the Bible. When Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he knew what he was talking about. Jesus was really pretty smart. And in that context, he was talking about money. If you worship money, that's where your heart will be. Same with anything else. What you worship will have your heart. It'll have your time. It'll have your allegiance. It'll have your perseverance. You look at where you spend your time, your money, and everything else, I can tell you that's pretty much what you worship. If you worship God in his kingdom, that's what your life will be about. In other words, worship controls your life. It is the number one issue in your life and in mine. When worship is directed to an unworthy object or an unworthy person, we call it idolatry. The first of the Ten Commandments says, you will have no other gods before me. Not because God's an egomaniac, not because uh, he, he uh, has, has all this big ego, it's simply because he is all. He is the ultimate reality and the greatest good. So we were made to worship him, but sin will always lead us off into worshiping other things. I want to start with Deuteronomy 6, 4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Here, here's a good definition of worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, you worship him with all your life. Everything you do should be out of allegiance and submission to God. Worship is seven days a week. But today, I want to focus on this hour this morning. Sunday morning, when we get together, is one aspect of worship, and how should we approach Sunday morning? What we do here is kind of the hub of our worship life. Our worship life is all week long, but this is the core, the weekly reminder that all of our lives are to be lived in worship toward him. And Ecclesiastes speaks to this in chapter 5, if you want to turn to that, chapter 5, 1 through 7. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they, that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Be careful, be cautious. Why? Well, first of all, and I really hesitate to say this, you be careful when you go to the house of God because there are fools there, and you don't want to become one of them. There's a lot of talk about fools in this passage, and they are in the church. Now, I don't want you to look at anyone right now, okay? Not everyone is, of course, but Jesus talked about weeds growing along with the wheat. 
the good and the bad growing together in God's field until the harvest comes and then they'll be separated. So in the same way, they're wise worshipers and they're foolish worshipers. And there's always going to be some weeds in the church. There's always going to be sin in the church. So don't be surprised or disappointed if the behavior of some of your fellow pew sitters or even your preacher is not what you think it ought to be. I have been a fool. We all have. So what should we do if there are fools in the church, according to Ecclesiastes? Well, for some, it means I'm going to quit church. If there are fools there, I just won't go. But I want you to notice the author says, when you go to the house of God, not if. Yes, the church has weeds and sin, but gathering and worship still has a way of impacting and shaping your life in a positive way. So going to the house of God is not optional. When you go to the house of God assumes you're going to make it your routine. You see, what your routine is pretty much shapes who you are, where you spend your time. You know, uh, you know when we go to school, when we go to work at our appointed times and, and watching our TV shows and playing cards or whatever we do, our patterns establish a way of life. And when we keep coming back to those patterns, they actually start establishing our habits and our priorities. So going to the house of God should be a regular pattern. When you go in your home on Sunday morning, is it if we go today or when we go today? Is there even a question? So we counter the foolery of church going, not by quitting, but by going wisely. The text can be divided into two parts. First of all, the first three verses are listening to God, and then the last four verses are speaking to God. First of all, listening. Draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What is the sacrifice of fools? Well, you look at the context, it's talking and talking too much. And talking in the wrong way. Listening is the key to any good relationship. You husbands know this. If you want your wife to love you, listen to her. You wives know this, I think. You want your husband to love you, listen to him. My wife says, I don't listen very well. At least I think that's what she said. Parents, want to have influence with your kids? Try listening. Kids, want to influence your parents? Listening is one of the most underrated, powerful acts of human interaction. But here so often is what happens. We're just not a good listening people. I read that the average person listens for 17 seconds before interrupting and interjecting his own ideas. The average person is a fool. We've all done it. I actually tested myself after reading this uh, this past week, and I am worse than a fool. I do it before 17 seconds is up. And I think maybe, maybe some of you do too. Here's this definition of conversation I think is so true. It's a vocal competition in which the one who is catching his breath is called the listener. Isn't that true? Yeah. And a father would say, I can't understand my kid. He won't listen to me. How are you going to understand your kid? By listening to him. You know. And what's sad, the Ecclesiastes says, he doesn't even know it. The fool doesn't know it. They do not know that they are doing wrong. You'll even hear in the church, we can't understand the world. They won't listen to us. Maybe we need to reverse that and we listen to the world once in a while. So, so when we approach God, it's the same thing. How can we understand him if we're not listening? One of the finest men I have ever known in my life was a young man named Chris Chambers. He was just one of these guys that was just in touch with God, and you just almost see the glow around him. And he was in touch with people. It was so unique. You know, some people, you just see the difference. And one of his outstanding traits, he really listened. I remember people coming up and said, Chris, you really listened to me. Has anyone ever said that to you? You are really a good listener. It's one of the highest compliments you can get. 
Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. One of the best ways to raise your love quotient is just listen. One of the best ways to handle someone who disagrees with you and maybe break down some barriers, just listen. And the best way to improve your walk with God, just listen. Deuteronomy 6, the first word. Hear, O Israel, listen. Here's what Jesus said about two people who went to church. Luke 18 said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. This is almost comical. I can almost see Jesus with a smirk as he's saying this. I am so good, God, and I'm telling God how lucky you are to have me. This man is an idiot and doesn't know it. But the tax collector, the sinner, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's all he says. Then Jesus said, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think we could entitle this parable, The Mouthy Man and the Humble Man. The mouthy man is full of pride and a lot of words. And he exalts himself. He talks a lot, mostly about himself. And the humble man has one request, give me mercy. In another place, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. It's not the volume of words, it's the attitude of the heart. So Ecclesiastes says, When you come to the house of God, when you come to worship, we need less mouth and more ears. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. In other words, listen, because God is awesome and you are not. He is in heaven, you're on earth. There's a gap. God's way up here, we're way down here, so don't be telling God about all your great ideas and how lucky he is to have you. All through the Bible, we are commanded, listen. Hear, O Israel. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen. Tune in to what I'm about to tell you, because many do not, and they are fools. The majority of the people in the world today are fools, will not listen to God. Now, that's not a good evangelism strategy. Don't tell your neighbor that he's a fool, okay, because they don't listen to God. But anyway, that's what Ecclesiastes says. Deuteronomy says, you need to tie these words of mine, the words of God, to your wrist, your foreheads, put them on your door frames, and plant them into your children. In other words, you do whatever you can to help you and yourself and your family to listen to the word of God. Hear, O Israel, let this command, his command, seep into every being of your, fiber of your being. Listening to God is our main spiritual discipline. That is number one. And we need this reminder because most of us, most of us want to speak more than we want to listen. So do you want more of God in your life? Then shut up. And listen, God's word is a gift. And you only receive it by listening. Proverbs ten nineteen says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. Down in verse 7, it says, stand in awe of God. When God is present, people naturally become quiet. I mean, he's up here, we're down here, and we recognize in silence his goodness and his wisdom and his power, his beauty, and awesomeness leaves us speechless. See, when awesome enters the room, silence follows. 
People tell me after Sunday service once in a while, Mark, this morning I want to tell someone else to shut up. They were talking during the sermon or talking during communion or whatever. See, there's no way to experience awe when you're talking. You go to the Grand Canyon or some other great natural wonder, the first time you're there, your mouth drops, you're speechless, but someone over here is gabbing, you want to say, shut up. How dare you talk in the presence of awe? Be still and know that I am God. Busy mouths will not hear God. They cannot hear God. So Ecclesiastes says, that's the sacrifice of fools. I read an article a couple of weeks in preparation for this, said, listen up if you want to be more like Jesus. And it talks about how Jesus listened to people and how God listens. He listens to our prayers. And if you want to be more like God, more like Jesus, you need to listen. You know, if God were sitting at a table like we had last week, sitting around tables, and God were at your table, I'm guessing most of us would defer to God. Would a question come up? We say, okay, God, what's the answer on this? I'm guessing most of us would not dare say too much. Well, it's the same thing when we come on worship, uh, come to worship on Sunday morning. What does God have to say? Um, you know, when preachers don't preach from God's word, I don't want to hear it. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what any preacher's opinion is. I want to hear the word of God. So this is to us who come to worship, and Ecclesiastes is saying, if our ears are not open, it's proof that we're full of pride, we're unteachable, and really not interested in worship. This morning during the Lord's Supper, we are going to just have silence. No music playing, just quiet for two or three minutes. It'll be different, but I want you to just be still before God. The second part of this text is then speaking to God. Speaking is not prohibited, but there are some cautions. It says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in ful- to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not pr- protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. You can talk, just be careful. And leading you into sin, it can happen many ways. Obviously, we know that. But there's one specific way mentioned here, making a vow and then not keeping it. Making a vow is something that's not much, something we don't do very much these days. But there's a very simple principle here and that, that is part of living wisely in God's world. When you tell God you'll do something, do it. He does not take pleasure in foolish chatter and cheap talk. When you accepted Christ as your Savior... Most of you, if you did it in a church like this, uh, made a great confession and said something like this. In fact, I want you to repeat after me. This is a confession many of you have already made. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He's my Lord and Savior. Live those words. Be real. I I tell couples when uh, we're talking about their wedding... There's one vow more important than your wedding vow, and that's the one you just made. It is far better not to promise at all than to vow and not pay up, just like in a wedding. Why should God be angry at you, he asked. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God. Others were giving big donations to help the poor, so they lied about their giving, and they got struck down. One preacher said, if everyone who lied about their giving were struck down, we'd have to put up a morgue in the basement. I've known people who talk big, and they offer their opinions, and they appear to be really religious, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all words. It's a lie. 
Actions speak louder than words. The old saying is still true. Here's another one I hear people doing sometimes is bargaining with God. Lord, I'm really in a tight spot. You get me out. I promise I'll serve you my whole life. I promise this and I promise that. And then the crisis passes and nothing changes. Why? Obviously, deep down, they don't really believe God is there or the, the, the God they bargain with is not the God of the Bible. It's just empty words. Words are often tools we use to control others, to manipulate others, even sometimes God. So be careful with your gods, with your words. God will bring judgment. What we say is not without consequence. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. God is undivided. And this undivided God wants undivided worshipers who say what they mean and mean what they say. When they say, Jesus is my Lord, they live it. They don't just talk it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for no one, you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. That's all you need to do. Anything more comes from the evil one. Just do what you say. Those who speak one way and act another, what do we call them? hypocrites. Man, Jesus talked a lot about hypocrites. He talked the big game, but there's nothing there. And the reason we have vows and oaths in the first place, I think this is what Jesus is getting at, is because we're afraid that our word is not enough. We don't have enough character in ourselves. We have to say, well, I swear, honest to God, I'm telling the truth. Well, if you have to add words with an oath, it's because there's some element of untruthfulness in your life. People take an oath in a courtroom you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? Had a lawyer, lawyer tell me, then there's more lying on that stand than anywhere else in the world. God wants undivided worship where words and actions align and what you say is who you are. Do you know some people who don't talk much, but when they do, you know it's true. They don't have to add a vow, they don't have to swear to God. You know it's true. Deuteronomy 5.27, the people said to Moses, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. To me, that's a good summary of our text in Ecclesiastes. Moses, you go, get a word from God. We're going to listen and we're going to obey. The first three verses of our text tells us you need to listen. And then verses 4 through 7, basically, they tell us, he tells us we need to obey. So the summary of this text is listen more, talk less, and do what you say. And when you leave this morning, I want you to ask yourself, did I listen? Did I hear anything from God this morning? And I'm not talking about the quality of the sermon or your Sunday school lesson or anything, but God's word. Did you hear something that God said today? Did you hear God speak to you through the songs we sang? Or did you hear God through the communion, in the silence of communion today? A husband and wife were at a party chatting with some friends when the subject of marriage counseling came up. And the wife said, Oh, we'll never need counseling. My husband and I have a great relationship. He has a communications major in college, and I majored in theater arts. So he communicates really well, and I act like I'm listening really well. Well, I think church is like that for some. So, so what should we do? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your mouth. Open your ears. Start the preparation Saturday night. Get your heart, soul, mind prepared to hear and to listen and to obey. In fact, the Sabbath, back in the old days, started the evening before. 
And when you speak, may your words be backed up by your life and do what you say. Let's pray. Lord, help us to listen and to not offer the sacrifice of fools, but to guard our steps when we come to this place. May our words be few, and when we speak, may they be truthful and real. Lord, I pray for help as we stand in awe of you and listen and obey. May this worship today remind us there is a gap. You're in heaven. You're on earth. We are on earth. So help us be still and know that you are our God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, who has bridged that gap. Amen.